I'm Kathy with a C. And I'm Kathy with a K. And this is Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Ripley, Ohio. The rural village of Ripley was established in 1812 and is located in southwestern Ohio along the Ohio River. Ripley has a proud abolitionist history, with many of its citizens having participated in the Underground Railroad in the 19th century and helping thousands of slaves attain freedom. Some of the historic homes that were a stop on the Underground Railroad are still standing and have undergone preservation. People interested in architecture and history would enjoy touring Ripley's 55-acre historic district, which was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1984. And its main street boasts antique and craft shops, festivals, wineries, and museums. As a river town, Ripley also has a lot to offer on the water, from kayaking or canoeing to stand-up paddleboarding. But in 2013, for one family, Ripley also represented the place where their loved one met an early death and the killer remains free. So before we start getting into the case, this is unlike any other case we've reported on before because this is an unsolved cold case. This happened back in 2013 and was brought to us by a listener who has very distinct memories of when this occurred and really wished the police had more information with which they could solve this case. Kathy and I just don't believe secrets can keep. Someone out there knows something or knows someone who knows something. So if you have friends, relatives, former college roommates, or anyone you know who has connections with Ohio or any of the surrounding states, please send them this link to help this family that is still suffering. And at the end, we'll be giving you the number for Crime Stoppers if anybody wants to call in any tips. On the night of August 28, 2013, 22-year-old Brittany Stikes and her 14-month-old daughter, Aubrey, were driving to her parents' farm in Ripley to celebrate her father's birthday. Brittany's parents, Dave and Mary Dodson, live on a farm in Ripley, Ohio, where they raise their five children, all of whom are now adults and having children of their own. The Dodson kids grew up going to church, going to the county fair, and working on the farm. The family was close, Brittany especially so, and she and her daughter Aubrey would go to the farm almost every day to see her family, usually staying to have dinner. That evening, Mr. and Mrs. Dodson were looking forward to celebrating his birthday with their family. Brittany and one of their sons were running late, and as they sat down to the dinner table, the Dodsons heard a lot of sirens along U.S. Route 68, but did not really pay any attention to it. They weren't really worried about the sirens until their son called and told them that something terrible had happened on the highway. He said he did not know what it was, but it was all over the scanners he was listening to. According to WCPO News 9, Mr. Dodson jumped in his truck and headed up U.S. Route 68 until he was about a half a mile from where his son said the police activity was taking place. He said it was a route he had taken countless times, but on this night, police blocked him. He was able to talk to a police officer and asked, Is it a girl with long brown hair? Does she have a redheaded baby? The officer's reply was yes. As it turns out, at about 8.11 p.m. that evening, a 911 call was made reporting a yellow Jeep Wrangler in a ditch near Gooselick Road on Route 68 in Ripley. Within 11 minutes, medics and police began arriving. Brittany's 14-month-old daughter, Aubrey, still strapped in her car seat, was bleeding from a gunshot wound to her head, but somehow she was still alive. 
So, Kath, police didn't want to wait for an ambulance because this little baby was bleeding and they didn't think they had time. So they basically put her in their patrol car and raced her to Southwest Regional Medical Center in nearby Georgetown. That's awesome. I know. So from there, she was flown to Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. Aubrey's mother, Brittany, had been shot in the neck, chest, and arm. And tragically, she and her unborn baby were pronounced dead at the scene. That's so sad. I know. Do you know how far along she was? Four months. Okay. 22-year-old Brittany was married to 38-year-old Shane Stikes. Brown County Sheriff's deputies arrived at their home at 11.30 p.m. to speak with her husband. Shane was asleep when the deputies pounded on his front door and then asked him if he owned a yellow Jeep Wrangler. Shane thought Brittany and Aubrey were at her parents' house, but when he was asked that question, he knew something was very wrong. Deputies then took Shane to the sheriff's station where they swabbed his hands for gunshot residue and interviewed him. Well, and that makes sense because as the husband, he's automatically going to be the first one they need to rule out. Totally. Shane had an alibi, however. He told deputies he went to work that day at a manufacturing plant in West Chester Township, which was more than 70 miles from their home. After getting home, he went to the gym. The gym was about 15 minutes away from the crime scene, but there were at least three police and probation officers working out with Shane who could corroborate the time he was at the gym. Shane tested negative for gunshot residue and passed a polygraph exam. And because he was cooperative, he was cleared of any wrongdoing. One week after Brittany died, on Wednesday, September 4th, 2013, hundreds of mourners went to the Salt Air Church of Christ in Tate, Ohio, to pay their respects as Brittany and her unborn baby were laid to rest. And Kathy, the minister who performed her funeral, had also baptized her and married her. Wow. That's very bittersweet. Yeah. In a Cincinnati Inquirer article on October 9th, 2013, roughly six weeks after Brittany was killed, journalist Sheila McLaughlin provided additional details about Brittany in an effort to see if there was anything that could have led to the shooting on US 68. Shane and Brittany Stikes were married in February 2012. Brittany's mother said her daughter was in love with Shane and loved Shane's two sons, who were ages 6 and 14, as if they were her own. When she found out she was pregnant with her second child, Brittany quit her job at Walmart and began looking after her niece and nephew, along with Aubrey, at her parents' farm. On the day she died, Brittany took her husband Shane's bright yellow Jeep Wrangler, which it's one of those like big neon... You can't miss it. Yeah, exactly. You You know that one. And she drove to her mother-in-law's house in Bethel, which was about 25 miles northwest of Ripley. She was going there so she could apply online for a seasonal job with the Internal Revenue Service. Kath, when I read that, I'm making the assumption that her mother-in-law had a computer that perhaps her parents didn't have on the farm. I think that's a reasonable assumption. Brittany left her mother-in-law's with Aubrey after dinner, taking along a plate of leftovers for Shane. They were headed to her family's farm to celebrate her dad's birthday and were fewer than 10 miles away when the shots rang out. A preliminary autopsy report from the Montgomery County Coroner's Office so that Brittany Stikes had been shot three times in the neck, chest, and right arm. Because the wounds did not have any soot or gunpowder residue, the coroner knew she was not shot at close range, but rather from an indeterminable distance. The wound in the right arm was determined to be most likely a re-entry wound from one of the bullets, and the wound that killed Brittany was the shot to the chest because it damaged her heart. 
In addition to her bullet wounds, Brittany had abrasions on her face, right arm and finger, and the forensic pathologist found scratches on her right leg. These injuries might have been caused when the Jeep left the highway and plowed into the woods. The official cause of death was listed as homicide by gunshot. Crime scene investigators reported that the shooter or shooters fired five slugs into the car from outside the vehicle. Investigators found no shell casings in the vicinity of the Jeep, which suggested that the victims had been shot by a revolver or revolvers. Brittany's 14-month-old daughter, Aubrey, was struck by the bullet that went through her mother's chest. That's awful. I know. Kath, U.S. Route 68 is a rural two-lane highway. Ripley's a very small town, as are the surrounding communities. Mm -hmm. But the Jeep that they were driving in, the Jeep Wrangler, is a two-seater. So there was no back seat to put the car seat in with Aubrey. So she was actually sitting next to her mother in the passenger seat, Mm. in her car seat. Mm -hmm. But that is why she was struck with the bullet, because when the shooter came up alongside Brittany, which is what the police are assuming happened and shot at her, the bullet went from left to right through her chest. And on the Mm. other side of her was Aubrey. It seems as though her vehicle had to have been stopped. When the shooting happened? Yeah. Well, and that's actually one of the questions. So Brittany's Jeep was found in a ditch and there was significant damage to the front of it. Mm -hmm. So Brittany's husband, Shane, says... She couldn't have been stopped because the assumption is if you get shot, your foot goes off the gas and then you kind of roll into the ditch. But the Jeep would not have had that kind of front end damage if it was just rolling. Interesting. That was damage from somebody who was going at the speed limit and then went kind of head first when they lost control of their vehicle. But the other thing, Kathy, too, is that there was actually a police officer in the vicinity. So not on the route, not near where the crash happened, but said he heard the gunshots, just didn't know where they came from or why. And again, as a rural community, they probably hear gunshots. Right. So little Aubrey survived. The bullet pierced her frontal lobe just above her eyebrows and exited the top of her skull. She endured four brain surgeries in the first two months, one of them an emergency surgery to take pressure off of her brain. She was in critical condition for quite some time, but Aubrey was a fighter and survived. So, Kathy, as we were just talking about, the detective still did not really know where the shots came from. Was it a passing car? Was it fired from the highway? And like I said, there was a state trooper in the area who heard the gunshots, but he didn't see anything out of place. Now, detectives figured that Brittany was shot sometime after 7.30 p.m. because they saw the yellow Jeep driving along Ohio State Route 125, first by a police department security camera and then a bit farther down in a McDonald's. Detective Sergeant Moore said at this point, and remember, this is six weeks after Brittany's murder, that they'd interviewed about 45 to 50 people, but that tips on the case had slowed down considerably. He said detectives did not have enough evidence to say the shooting was random, but they also did not know if she was specifically targeted. And they did not have a suspect, the murder weapon, or a motive. They did know, though, that because Brittany had $125 in cash as well as jewelry on her when she was killed, detectives ruled out robbery as a motive. Brittany also did not have life insurance, which removed financial motivation as a reason for this killing. But if Brittany had been targeted, who would have benefited? There was an early rumor that her unborn baby was not her husband's. And when asked by a reporter, Detective Sergeant Moore said that a DNA test was performed on the unborn baby to determine paternity, but there was nothing to look into, which I'm assuming is cop speak for he was the father. It was a stupid rumor in the first place. Yeah, it seemed like a non-issue. Right. Moore also said that they were looking at several different angles. Shane also said that he did not have any idea who might have killed his wife. 
He said he either works, goes to the gym, goes home, or is at his mother's house. He said he and Brittany were never into the bar scene. They were church-going, good people, and were not tied in with shady people of any sort. On November 14, 2013, almost three months after Brittany's murder, a grand jury was impaneled in southern Ohio to gather additional information for the investigation of the fatal shooting. Now, Kath, I read somewhere that there were three people that the officers wanted to speak with, but they weren't coming in. Right. So when you impanel grand jury, you can subpoena people to come and testify. And so a grand jury, they're the ones who decide, is there a sufficient justification for charging somebody with a felony? And prosecutors do get to subpoena people for this process. So it appears to me that they were trying to use this as an investigative tool. That's my impression based on everything I read is that they didn't have anybody they were pinpointing. Investigators could not disclose grand jury proceedings, but Samantha Grubbs, Shane's ex-girlfriend with whom he shared a son, told reporters as she left the courthouse that she had been summoned. WPCO Channel 9 reporter Jason Law asked Ms. Grubbs why she had not made herself available to police earlier, and she said she had been advised by someone, she would not say who, not to talk to the police. When asked by reporter Jason Law what she thought happened to Brittany, she cryptically said, I think that when you're young, I'm not saying she's young and dumb, you tend not to see the whole story. I think she just got involved with the wrong group of people. Samantha Grubbs did not explain what the whole story meant or what Brittany had failed to see. And she did not identify the wrong group of people Brittany had supposedly fallen in with. In response to Ms. Grubbs' comment about the wrong group of people, Brittany's mom, Mary Dodson, said, My daughter's crowd consisted of her mom and dad and her brothers and sisters. So, Kath, as I said, I read that there were three people that the prosecutor wanted to examine who weren't talking to the police officers. One of them was Samantha Grubbs. Detective Sergeant Moore would not say who the other two were. And one of them ignored the grand jury subpoena and failed to show up entirely. So they ignored a court order? They did. Sometimes people do. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Detective Sergeant Moore said he was working to compel that person to be brought in, calling it the biggest key they had at that point. He said there would have to be a damn good reason why somebody would ignore a grand jury subpoena and not show up for court. However, I didn't read that there was any kind of... There was no um, repercussions for not bench showing up. warrant. There was like, I didn't read anything about this guy being dragged into court. Kath, why are so many dogs now suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, said she's seeing more issues with joints, odors and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is actually the way many dog foods are made can create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many of the premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw a huge transformation in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. And Kath, as you know, we have a schnauzer named Ollie. And even though my husband insists he is not, he is overly flatulent. (laughs) (laughs) After I started giving him this food, I swear there was a reduction in his smell. I love that. And I'll come over to your house now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 
Well, and you know, we have a Vishla we call Orange, and she's a senior dog. And over the last couple of weeks, she has actually had more energy to be running around the backyard with the younger dog, the Doberman we call Brown. Or crazy. A little bit. <laughs> so if you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash killer D and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash killer D. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. By early December of 2013, there was no progress in the investigation. They had not made arrests. They did not find the murder weapon. Detectives still did not know a number of different things. Did Brittany know her killer? Where did the shooting occur? And did it just occur where the car ended up or had it actually rolled into that ditch? Brittany's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Dodson, said they were in limbo, that they could not move on until they knew who did it and why they did it. Mr. Dodson actually talked daily with Detective Sergeant Moore for updates on the case. Oh, I'm sure he did. So now, almost four months after their daughter was killed, Mr. and Mrs. Dodson filed a lawsuit to ensure their rights to see their granddaughter, Aubrey. Reporter John London with WLWT5 spoke with Mr. and Mrs. Dodson, and they told him that the upcoming Christmas holidays were going to be hard enough without Brittany, but it was compounded when Shane Stikes, Aubrey's father and Brittany's widower, made the decision that the Dodsons would not be able to see Aubrey. Mrs. Dodson told reporter John London that Shane had decided that they were negative people and he wanted to distance himself from them. They had not seen Aubrey since Thanksgiving, which had been three weeks prior. Mr. Dodson told the reporter that Shane told him before he stopped taking their calls that if the Dodsons thought he had anything to do with Brittany's murder, he did not want anything to do with them. So, Kath, did the Dodsons criticize him publicly? Not anywhere that I saw. Okay. And even during this interview with the reporter, Mr. Dodson said, we have no idea who killed Brittany. Interesting. It had to have been hard for Shane because he is automatically who everyone's going to look at as a suspect, regardless of whether or not he's been cleared. Correct. And so he probably felt it from every look, whether or not they meant it or not. Right. I'm sure anybody who looked at him strangely, even if it was just like, you're wearing those shoes with those pants? Right. He would have taken it to be, you killed your wife. Right. It would be so hard as grandparents. This little girl, you saw her every day. Right. And suddenly to have her ripped away from you, that would be really devastating. Well, I also think what was scary is that it was just at the beginning. It wasn't like it was 10 years down the road. Like they actually faced the prospect of never seeing her again. Right. And it was within a couple months of their daughter's death. After filing this lawsuit, the Dodsons got a court date of December 30th, 2013, so just over a week after they filed it, and were pursuing this legal case against Shane Stikes. They said they felt the only recourse was to hire an attorney and try to ensure their right to see Aubrey through the legal system. 
However, one month later, the Dodsons dropped the suit because they were able to work out a visitation with Shane. Almost one year after Brittany's murder, on August 25, 2014, WCPO reporters Maxim Alter and Jason Law spoke with Shane Stikes. Shane said he knew who killed his wife and had known since day one. Shane said he had been pointing police in the right direction from the moment they took him in for questioning. He said, they know who I've said that I believe it is from day one, and I haven't changed my story one bit. I don't want to be hypocritical in this situation because there are a lot of people right now that are pointing fingers. I have the pleasure of knowing that the people who are pointing those fingers are dead wrong. Shane would not identify the person. And actually, Kathy, he said, the only people I've told are the police and I have not and will not tell another single soul. So while he wouldn't identify the person, he did say it was someone he knows, just not somebody he knew on a personal level. Interesting. In 2014, at the one-year anniversary of Brittany's murder, Shane said he was not optimistic that his wife's homicide would be solved, with chances dwindling more and more as each day passes. Detective Sergeant Moore disagreed with Shane's statement, saying they are working on a theory that they strongly believed could solve the case, and the detective was following up on several promising leads. Investigators were talking to people in custody, and while they had not solved the case, detectives believed they were being led in the right direction. Detective Sergeant Moore said the type of crowd the prisoners run with was the type of crowd that was involved in the shooting. Mr. and Mrs. Dodson said they did not believe Brittany's killing was random, with Mrs. Dodson sharing that Brittany was a country girl at heart and rarely left the farm. She never traveled and did not hang out with bad crowds. We'd already said that Shane was being painted in a bad light and he was struggling with that, but her parents had to have been struggling with the same thing. Differently, because they weren't being accused of murder, they weren't being looked at as though they might be responsible, but they still were hearing horrible things being said about their daughter who had been killed. Right. Yeah. So they're saying she's a good girl. She's, you know, hanging out at home, blah, 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 blah. And Shane basically says like, hey, I was either at work or home. I was not hanging out at bars. Right. He He wasn't running with a bad crowd. Right. On September 23, 2015, more than two years after Brittany was killed, authorities in northern Kentucky executed a search warrant at a home in Falmouth. The Pendleton County Sheriff's Office, along with Kentucky State Police and Brown County Sheriff's deputies, were present for the search. A related affidavit suggested that an informant told police Brittany was killed by a hitman who was paid $20,000 and that the contract had been made because one of her family members owed someone a lot of money. The affidavit also revealed that cell phones, letters, and computer equipment were removed from the house. So, Kath, the raid came about after the informant came forward and told police that her ex-boyfriend, a man named Tommy Lopez, killed Brittany and that she was in the car when he did so. The informant said she actually waited those two years because, remember, this is now September of 2015, Mm -hmm. because she was afraid of her boyfriend, but decided to speak to investigators after he went to jail in Kentucky on drug charges. She told detectives that she was at a gas station with Tommy when they saw Brittany drive by in that yellow Jeep. She said they followed the car for almost a half an hour before Tommy plugged in a portable blue police light and turned his sirens on. So the informant said that Brittany pulled over because, of course, she thought she was being pulled over by a police officer. Mm -hmm. And the informant stayed in the car while Tommy got out. He walked up to the Jeep and fired four shots into the vehicle. 
Now, Kathy, as I recall from the autopsy and some of those investigation notes at the very beginning, they actually determined that there were five slugs that went into that vehicle. Now, I did not see this picked up anywhere else. So I don't know if some of the reporting was wrong. I don't know if somebody's not saying it right, what have you, but that's how it all came out. Okay. So after Tommy returned to the car, they fled the scene. And the informant said that Tommy had been paid $20,000 because someone wanted to get revenge on Shane because he owed a lot of money for drugs. And the interesting thing is the informant did not just implicate Tommy in Brittany's murder, but two others as well. Now, in January of 2016, so we're just a few months later, the News Democrat reported that Tommy Lopez was released from custody in Kentucky on December 26, 2015. Remember, he had been there serving time for drug charges. Mm-hmm. Brown County Assistant Prosecutor Zach Corbin was asked if Tommy was still a person of interest, and Zach Corbin said that he had not yet been cleared of suspicion in Brittany's case. And then after this, Kathy, it just kind of died out. He wasn't investigated for anything more. They didn't think he did it. Or at least we haven't read any articles about that. But there were some things that came out where they were suspicious of this woman's motivation Mm -hmm. for saying these things about Tommy. Oh, I see what you're saying, like calling her credibility into question as an informant. I see. Okay. Yeah, it is interesting how you read an article that you think has some substance, some juice, and then that's it, the end, right? like nothing else. Or you you read it somewhere else and it has different information, which is, as you know, why we like to do our court documents. Right. But because this is a cold case unsolved murder, we can't do that. Right. And obviously the officers are holding information close to the vest. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Two days after the search warrant was executed at the home in Falmouth, and by the way, nobody says whose home this is. Shane Stikes and Brittany's uncle Bill Pack argued with each other on the Kid Chris radio morning show on WEBN in Cincinnati. Shane Stikes called Brittany's parents idiots and worse for accusing him of having something to do with Brittany's fatal shooting. Stikes said, all I can say is thank God it's not me that has to look in the mirror and realize I'm a dumbass every day. Those are strong words. Strong words. But what is your impression of how they got on the radio together? I mean, they weren't in the studio together. No, my understanding is Shane Stikes was calling into the show. He's actually done it a couple of times at this point to talk to Kid Chris and Britney's uncle Bill Pack called in. Like hears him on the radio and calls in. Exactly. And then they just get into... And you know they were like, this is ratings gold. Let's have them go at each other. Right. I actually don't agree, but I'm also not trying to get ratings. Right. It just, it wasn't the right thing to do. No, it was not the right thing to do. Brittany's uncle, Bill Pack, blamed Shane for creating bitterness between the families and said he still thought Shane knew more than he was saying about the shooting. Kath, as you can imagine, they brought up all sorts of things to bicker and snipe about, from visitation with Aubrey to who paid for the funeral and Shane not working for a couple years. As for the police raid that happened two days prior, Shane said he did not know who owned or lived in the house and did not have any connection to it. He said authorities gave him some information he could not share that led him to believe the shooting was a case of mistaken identity. I feel like he kind of shared a lot with that statement. Shane did say on the show that Aubrey, who was three years old by this time, was amazing and probably a year or so more advanced developmentally than her age dictated. That's awesome. Yeah. Proud daddy. Yes, definitely. On Tuesday, January 11, 2017, the newly elected Brown County Sheriff Gordon Ellis and Prosecutor Zach Corbin held a press conference to announce they were stepping up efforts to solve Brittany's murder and had plans on how to solve the homicide, which at this point was three and a half years ago. 
Mr. and Mrs. Dodson were optimistic and said it felt like a new start. Sheriff Ellis and Prosecutor Corbin were moving forward with a cooperative approach and with a partnership between the Brown County Drug and Major Crimes Task Force in conjunction with the Brown County Sheriff's Office, the Brown County Prosecutor's Office, and the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation. Sheriff Ellis also assigned a new lead investigator to the case. Sheriff Ellis said he was committed to providing the resources necessary to solve the case. The Sheriff's Office and the Prosecutor's Office were also working with Crime Stoppers because they knew they needed the public's help to solve the case. Somebody knew what happened to Brittany, and whoever had that information needed to share it. Even if it seemed minuscule or insignificant, they wanted to hear from the public. At the end of 2016, the reward for information to help them solve Brittany's murder was up to $20,000. One year after the press conference with Sheriff Ellis and Prosecutor Corbin, the murder remained unsolved. Sheriff Ellis said that things had not happened the way they hoped they would, and the Sheriff's Office continued to receive and follow up on information. He again emphasized the importance of people coming forward with tips, even if they seemed insignificant or unrelated. In September 2017, we're now four years after Brittany Stikes was murdered, Shane Stikes sued Brown County Prosecutor Corbin and Brown County Sheriff Ellis to get his yellow 2000 Jeep Wrangler returned to him. On June 5, 2018, so nine months later, Magistrate Ken Zuck ruled in favor of Shane. In his decision, the magistrate wrote, the evidence concerning the vehicle clearly shows that the vehicle was processed for evidence within a few days of it being properly seized through the execution of a search warrant. The evidence is also clear that the Ohio State Patrol sent some representatives to view and photograph the vehicle approximately two months after it was seized. Since October 2013, the vehicle has sat in the Brown County Sheriff's impound lot and has not been touched. So, Kath, this is interesting because Shane hired a lawyer to sue the sheriff. Like when you're trying to get property back, you like name the sheriff personally or name the prosecutor personally, even though they represent a greater agency. And so his attorney was trying to do two things. He was trying to get money, basically saying, you've held the car so long, you owe us the value of the vehicle, which is $15,000. And then on the other hand, he was also saying, but we want the vehicle back. And so the judge who was overseeing the matter said, hey, look, the prosecutor and the sheriff are not going to be responsible for paying you any money for the value of the vehicle because everything they did was in the course and scope of their employment, and therefore there is immunity. There's a lot of immunity statutes for government employees and police officers and things like that. But ultimately, when they talked about getting the car back, the judge said, this is a really unique situation. We have a statute that says a crime victim's property should be returned as soon as practical. And you have another one that says police officers are allowed to keep and seize property as long as reasonable for the prosecution of the matter. And then there was one other statute that the judge was looking at. I can't remember what it was, but he basically looked at the case law and he goes, there's nothing on point here. Shane is not the victim. The victim is Brittany, her unborn child, and Aubrey. And although the police are entitled to hang on to this, it's been five years and no one's been charged with a crime. So the judge ultimately decides, you know what? Shane is the legal owner of the vehicle and he should get it back. However, you get to hang on to the vehicle for another four months. Whatever evidentiary processing you need to do, photographs you need to take can be done within that time. Then it gets surrendered to Shane. And that's exactly what happened. Which I think is fair. I do too. Now, Shane told Fox 19 that he was glad it's home. I think a lot of people wondered why he would want to get a Jeep back in which his wife was killed and his daughter was gravely injured. 
But Shane explained that it was the Jeep he and his dad had built together before his dad died and that he and Brittany had their first date in that vehicle. He said he had a million good memories with it and just one very bad one. So, Kath, I think I saw this interview as well. Aubrey spoke when the reporter was in their home and she basically said, I want this car because I want to be able to sit in the same seat that my mom once sat in. She was basically saying that she wanted to grow up and drive the same car her mother had driven. Shane said that now that he had the Jeep back, he was fixing it up and then planned to give it to Aubrey once she was old enough to drive. At a virtual remembrance in May of 2021, because remember, this is pandemic season. Right, COVID. (laughs) Exactly. Brittany's father, Mr. Dodson, told Fox 19 he was still holding out hope for justice. And he knows that somebody out there knows what happened to his daughter. He said his granddaughter, Aubrey, who is now nine years old, always asks him what happened to her mommy. And he wanted to be able to have an answer one of these days for her. So remember, we're asking that you all send this to anybody you know in the greater Ohio area or even anybody who you know likes to be an armchair sleuth and start digging into these types of episodes. It's been almost nine years since Brittany was killed and her family, and by that I mean her parents, her siblings, her husband, her daughter, they have absolutely no information about why this happened. And I can't imagine the pain that this causes for them. Oh, I can't imagine. So if you have any information... You can anonymously call Crime Stoppers at 888-352-3040. If you would like to call the Brown County Sheriff's Office directly, you can reach them at 937-378-4435 or submit tips online at www.browncountyohiosheriff.us. I know the family would appreciate any help that you can give them. Thanks for listening. And thanks for downloading. Our downloads have gone up substantially, and we are super excited. Very excited. In about four weeks, we are coming up on our one-year anniversary. And we decided that we're going to reassess at the one-year mark. So if you're listening and not downloading, please download. Please download. If you'd like to keep having us on the air, (laughs) please tell your friends and family, like you clearly have been up to now. Exactly. Make more friends, get new family. (laughs) (laughs) And you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Destinations Podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.